scripture that I wanted to read on this first passage that I wanted to read on this first Sunday is very significant to me. I think it, it speaks to where we're at, but it's super long. It's like six chapters, seven chapters from Second Chronicles. And I figured if I ever want to have a second Sunday here with anybody who comes back, I shouldn't just read Second Chronicles chapters 1 through 7 verbatim. And some of it doesn't apply to us also because it's the building of the temple, the first temple, the temple of Solomon that the people of God used to worship. And if you can think ahead, if you're thinking theologically, you know that a lot of that doesn't apply to us anymore. There is no temple. This is not the church building, which is why I think it's so cool that the place we're meeting in now is not called the church, it's a center. We're the church. Church has been happening when we weren't in a building. Church was happening when it was in another place. Church is happening here because we're gathering to worship. So in some ways, it's kind of like not fitting that we talk about the temple. We're not building a temple here. We are the temple. But if you'll track with me and see what I see in this passage, every time that some really intricate detail is mentioned, the gold, the rubies, the scroll work, all those sorts of things, you and I are the temple of God. That is how God sees us. We are beautiful. We are wonderfully, fearfully and wonderfully made. We look at ourselves and we compare ourselves with others and we just see flaws and we see inadequacies, we see our own weaknesses. If this center experiment is going to teach us anything, it's that it's not about us, that we can't do it on our own. But if we do peace that God calls us to fulfill the rest, and the peace that each of us does is beautiful. So as we read some of the temple adornments, yeah, you can think about this place, but really think about yourself. Jesus is devoted to building you and me into a sparkling, beautiful, radiant temple for himself. He wants your eyes to shine with love, and he's going to build that into us the more time we spend with him, the more we love him. He wants our, our hands and our feet to feel to the people that were around as if Jesus was there with them, helping, serving. And he's going to build, he's going to adorn us. That's how beautiful God thinks each of us is. We are the temple. So for every adornment, think that. Um, we're going to get to a point where the glory of the Lord descends upon the temple. We know as Jesus died, as he rose, that his Holy Spirit was poured out. But so many of us don't live expecting to experience God poured out like fire, filling us with power. And yet we are the temple. We are the church. We use that phrase all the time. The buildings of the church, the people of the church. We're the temple. And so I long for us to long for that. Do we want to be filled with the glory of the Lord where we see that temples are? Because they are a place for the Lord to pour out his presence. So look for that. Think of that in your lives. If you want to notice as we go through the length of time it took to build, that might be an encouragement to those of us who are feeling like things are a long time coming and a lot of building. It was longer for them than it would be for us. And look what God did, right? He stands witnesses today of God's faithfulness. So for everyone here who is waiting for something, there are many of us that are waiting for something. We can see what the waiting produced for them. We're seeing what the waiting
waiting is producing for us, and it stands with us that God rewards those who wait upon Him. And the last thing we're going to see, I feel like this preface is necessary because I'm going to need to jump. I can't read all seven chapters for you. Uh, but as I do, I don't want you to miss these really important moments. It's such a misnomer to think that there was like an Old Testament God who had a temple and he was kind of angry at God and he acted that way. And then Jesus came on the scene in this New Testament. Jesus is loving and, and he's kind and there's never an unkind word spoken and he's not that harsh. He's pretty forgiving and talk about grace and mercy. We have to put together the justice of God and the love of God all in one because he is the same. He has never changed. And so even though we're reading about the temple in the Old Testament, you're going to see the very first words spoken on that dedication day was, what kind of building could ever contain you, God? The highest heavens can't contain you, oh God. So how do we lose sight of that? If that's where it started, day one dedication ceremony was, it's not about the building, it's about God. It certainly became about the temple. And then Jesus had to come and like do a refresher course. Listen, it's not been about this beautiful temple. It's about God and each of us. It's about his people. It's about family. It's about repenting of our sins so we can join him forever. Like that's the story that's always been. So don't miss those moments either. Where Solomon, we think he's establishing sacrificial worship. That's a byproduct. What Solomon was doing was dedicating a place to prayer where people could come and pray. Can I get an amen that we want this to be a place of prayer? Amen. So that's what we're doing here. We're not making a temple. This place is not anymore sacred in God's presence because God is everywhere. We're His presence. We come here. But we dedicate this place to be a place of prayer. We want people to come in here and feel like this is a place that they can pray. Solomon dedicates the temple to be a place of forgiveness. Usually when we're in unforgiveness for ourselves, not forgiving ourselves, not forgiving, we retreat, we hide, right? So let's have a place that's dedicated. You can come here to get things off your shoulders and give them to God, a place of forgiveness. Do we want this to be a place of forgiveness? Yes. So there are things that Solomon says he dedicates a place to be set aside for these wonderful purposes. For all the things we've been dreaming of, what are some of the things that you hope and pray this place will be dedicated for? Just shout some out. Give me some thoughts. There's been so many ideas. What do we want to dedicate this place for? Salvation. Salvation. It to be a place where people are saved. Right. We pray for that today. Healing. Yes. Healing. Right. for me. Absolutely. Say it. Counseling. Counseling. Truth. Apply. Let's see. For the lonely to be placed in families. You see, we're wanting these things. It's beautiful to pray for a place to be set aside for those purposes. We don't have to go the next step and say, oh, I need to go to church to pray, or I'll the pastor to pray. I want to go into that holy place. No. We are the ones connected to God. That's the whole point. We are temples. It's a beautiful thing to set aside a place for activities of faith, a place to seek God, a place to gather only into families. I thought of creativity. We talked about like pottery classes and whatever else might happen here. God's a creative God that set a place, set apart a place for creativity. And that really pleased God, creative in the arts and music and painting. That's who He is. What else? Anything comes to mind, Danny? Yes. 
get treatment. It's not our opinions, not our denominations, nothing. The word of God will be essential. And so that's how we conclude the service today. We're going to head downstairs, uh, say a quick prayer together, and Bible will wrap it up nice and tight, seal it up, and put it down into foundation. A little point, kind of ironic, beautiful in my mind. The place in the basement that's already been opened up is where the water main comes in. They had to excavate to bring in this very expensive pipe from the road to here. So the exact place that's bringing living water into our building is the place that we're going to put the Word of God to be the living water to feed us for years to come. So like, I love the little spot that God gave us. I didn't even have to check off the basement. Nobody needed to jack in. The city did it for us, and we're just going to make use of it. But that's, that's how we'll dedicate this place. Some scripture, some prayer, and a ceremony to remember. Second Chronicles chapter 2. I'm going to read a lot about Solomon. He's the key figure in this. But you're going to see that Solomon didn't think this was about him either. He constantly reflects. He redirects. This is about you, O Lord God. This is your place for worship. This is your place for sacrifice. This is your people. Now, do you remember, some of you must remember, there's a place in the New Testament where Jesus was talking and he said, you know, Solomon was sought after for all of his wisdom, but now one greater than Solomon is here. And then that's why we don't look to Solomon or King David or any of these people as if they were like these iconic, perfect figures. Far from it, they were just people seeking God. It's his story. It's his plan. This is his center. We're doing our own parts. So as you read Solomon, I would like you to think of Jesus speaking over you. One greater than Solomon did come and is with us. And Jesus is the one building the temple. Jesus is the one building us into a temple for his Holy Spirit. So there, there are wonderful parallels to be brought. Let's not leave it just in a history lesson. Let's recognize this Solomon is building a temple, and Jesus is instructing each one of us to be his temple. Beautiful for worship. So 2 Chronicles chapter 2. Now Solomon purposed to build a temple for the name of the Lord and a royal palace for himself. Solomon assigned 70,000 men to do to bear burdens and 80,000 to quarry and 3,600 to oversee them. Solomon sent word to Hiram, the king of Tyre, as you dealt with David, my father, this was a previous engagement, Hiram had helped build David's palace. So as you have with David, my father, you sent him cedar to build himself a house to dwell in, so dwell with me. Behold, I'm about to build a house for the name of the Lord my God and dedicate it to him, for what? For the burning of incense of sweet spices before him, for the regular arrangement of the showbread, for burnt offerings morning and evening on the Sabbaths, on new moons, and appointed feasts of the Lord our God as ordained forever for Israel. The house that I am to build will be great, for our God is greater than all gods. But who is able to build him a house? Since heaven, even highest heaven, cannot contain him, who am I to build a house for him, except as a place to make offerings before him? So please send me a man skilled in all of this work to help complete the labor. And then it lists off the timber that's sent and how they're going to arrange the, the give and take. Uh, Hiram says in verse 11, Because the Lord loves his people, he has made you king over him. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who made heaven and earth, who has given King David a wise son who has discretion, understanding, who will build the temple for the Lord 
and a royal palace for himself. And so then the work continues through the remainder of chapter 2. Jesus is in a construction plan for each of us. He's building us into the temple. And I don't think our temples will be perfected this side of glory, and that's okay. But I encourage us not to see all places where we're incomplete, not to look at ourselves critically for all the places that are still broken down, all the patches that are the places that should be beautiful and finished. This building is a great visual for who we are. Jesus is working on you. And it's at great cost. And it's for the glory of the Lord so that each of us individually might be a place where God's name would dwell. That when we go out into the world, we carry his name. It's like a, a badge on our chest and a banner over our head. We are the people of God. We bear the presence of God. We carry the spirit of God. And it's beautiful and it's costly. It costs Jesus his whole life. It costs him everything because it's worth it. Because how could we not build a house for the Lord? We not be a house of glory after what he's done for us. So this is a state of grace, this passage. This is about details and logistics, but it's also not. May we be, when we see ourselves as the temple that Jesus sees us as, incomplete, a little dilapidated in some places, but beloved, Christ's life work. Everything for our salvation. So chapter 3 continues. Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David, his father, at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Mornah, Jebusite. He began to build in the second month of the fourth year of his reign. And these were the measurements, and these were um, lined with cypress wood. If you remember from the Old Testament, there's two accounts of this. There's the books of First and Second Kings, and then there's First and Second Chronicles. One's written, it's kind of like, the kingly scribe, the others are like the national historian. And so sometimes there's more details you can pick out of one or the other. But in this whole temple, thing that's not mentioned in the Chronicles version, is that when you walked into the inside, there was so much of this cypress wood, cedar wood that was used, that you couldn't see a piece of stone. Everything, floors, walls, seats, you were completely covered with this wood. So this Hiram was a supporter, benefactor along the way. This is our story as well. Where would we be in our faith if someone didn't step in to lend us the spiritual raw materials through discipleship, through helping through serve all, through loving and praying for someone? That's the story of the center here as well. We would not be here if it wasn't for the generosity of the owner, Jose, or through the grants that God brought to bear. He brings the resources for the things he wants to do, which is why it's never too late for us. Because we don't have what we need right now, but bring the resources to bear. And it's why this endeavor is scary, but not. Because if he wants it to happen, he'll bring the resources to bear to accomplish the things that he wants. He's building us. He's building this place. And he built the temple and brought whatever was needed for what he wanted. So it's just so warning. I encourage you to read through the remainder of chapter 3, the full specs. It's like the blueprints that we have over there on the table. It's the blueprints for the temple. It's overlaid with gold and uh, purple and crimson fabrics. Chapter 4 continues. Solomon made an altar of bronze, 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, 10 cubits high, 
He made a place for the priests to wash their hands. It's called a seed. He made it of cast metal. I was standing on 12 oxen, three facing north, three facing west, three facing south, three facing east. Like every detail was paid attention to. And when we look at this project here, it feels like we have to pay attention to every detail. Like, oh, we need light switch covers. Oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> every detail just needs to be accounted for because it's starting from scratch. That's us. That's us. Every detail needs to be accounted for. Our relationship with our parents when we were growing up, that needs to be accounted for in the construction of our temple because it matters and it shaped us. The siblings that we grew up with, or didn't grow up with, the experiences we have are like part of it. Jesus is paying attention to every detail. He's caring for you in your workplace and in your hobbies. He's caring for you in how you speak, how you think, how you evaluate yourself. He pays attention to every detail because you're in his temple. He doesn't want some run-down temple like, oh, that's what I'm worth. He's making us into something that's worthy of his glory. So have hope. We'll stand here today as witnesses, right? God is faithful. He's faithful with each of us. He's been faithful in his place. He will be faithful in all things. So chapter 4 is many, many, many beautiful things. Read them at your picture. Chapter 5. We get to verse 2 in chapter 5, and the ark is brought into so this is the Holy of Holies. This is what Jesus died and rose again to open up so that we can have access to God. But in this moment, God met his people in that place in the concentration of his glory. Second Chronicles 5.2, Solomon assembled all the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers, and the houses of the people of Israel in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. All the men of Israel assembled before the king at the feast that is in the seventh month. All the elders of Israel came, the Levites, they took off the ark. They brought up the ark, the tent of meeting, all the holy vessels that were in the tent, and the Levitical priests brought them up. King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel would assemble before, before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. The overflow of worship was on. So the cherubim are spread out over the ark, it's brought into the holy place. Uh, verse 10 says there's nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses had put there. The priests come. Um, chapter verse 12, Devin, Eloise, and Michaela, and myself, uh, all the Levitical singers and their sons and kinsmen, they were arrayed in fine linen, they played cymbals and harps and lyres, and they stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeteers. Maybe next Sunday we'll have 120 trumpeteers in here. Why not? It's not like over-exaggerated worship isn't even enough. Abundance of worship doesn't even come close. So give it all you've got because it's not even going to approximate what God deserves. And live as his temple with everything that we have because it's still only going to be a fraction the glory of God. But they poured everything into it, this entire people of God. And we are, and we're doing it with joy the way they did, they did it, just celebrating, praising, singing, sacrificing. Verse 13 says, It was the duty of the trumpeters and the singers to make themselves heard in unison, in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, this is what they sang. 
Let me say it part, and you repeat back to me. They say, for he is good. Exactly. Depending on your translations, either his love endures forever or his steadfast love, depending on how you elaborate on the type of love. So they were they were singing this again and again and again in the house, in the house of the Lord. And it was filled with the clouds. The priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, because the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. This is another one of those beautiful moments we need to recognize us here in chapter 6. You might have a heading, Solomon blesses the people, sort of a way to differentiate the categories of you know, thought as we go through it. Look what Solomon thinks is a blessing to the people. Solomon says, The Lord had said he would dwell in thick darkness, but I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. And he turned and blessed all the assembly of Israel and said, Blessed be the Lord. It's like a bait and switch. Let me bless you. God's good. We're okay, I guess. But how do we bless each other? It's by proclaiming the name of God because we're his temple. And so we are his people who manifest his glory. Don't miss that. It was never about the rocks and the stone and the cedar and the cypress and the gold. Those are ways to express beauty and adoration and worship in a place dedicated for God. But what does it look like to really bless someone? Pray God on them. When you walk out here, you bump into people, when you're at home, when you're at your lunch break, you want to bless someone, don't just say, I hope things go well for you. Because what is that in this life? That's an approximation. It's relative. What is well? You have some people who have everything and feel like life's the worst. Some people who have very little or nothing at all and think that life is great. That's not how we bless each other, by hoping that everything goes easy. That's not how we bless each other. I hope your problems all go away. And you become healthy, happy, wealthy, and wise forever with no problems. God builds our faith in the times of struggle. So that when he shows that he's faithful a year later, and we stand and sing in a place that was just a wish dream more than a year ago, that he gets the glory. It's good to have worked and to have sweat and to have prayed and to have feared. I had so many scary, fearful moments this past year. I think probably all of us have had. Are we doing the right thing? Can this work? Can we do it? Will it happen? What is God saying? That requires faith. If you open up your wallet and it's full of money, and you look at your body and you're full of health, what faith is there required to just use what you got? Faith comes in when you're not sufficient to the task. And so Jesus' greatest, greatest blessing to us is to show us how unworthy we are and how imperfect we are. And then to say, but I love you anyway, because you're my temple. And you're beautiful, and I am adorning you. I'm taking time. Jesus is taking time with us. Every day of our lives, he's taking time to build us. So this is a visual representation of a life of faith. The building here isn't what matters. What matters is, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. You want to bless people? Pray God into their lives. Pray that they would see God. Pray that they would recognize God. Pray that they would see themselves in respect to God, that He would be great and almighty. We're going to bless this place. You don't just say, Lord, I pray that everything goes well here and this is great. God, I pray that you are here and whatever comes with that will take. That's a wonderful dedication. It really is. The way He approaches it is something we can learn from. God, it's so good. It's so good. So He blesses the people. It's not really about the people. And then we're continuing on. And then he says a prayer of dedication. 
And um, we can skip to verse 13. Uh, it says, Solomon made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, three cubits high, and had it set in the court, and he stood up on it. And then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel. And he spread out his hands toward heaven. And he said, O oh Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. So how does Solomon dedicate a place? He says, God, there is no one like you. There's no place there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant, showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant David, my father, when you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand you have fulfilled it this day. And I get in the to that. God spoke to us. And with his hand, not ours, we think it's ours, but we're just playing our part. With his hand, he has fulfilled it on this day. This day we are witnesses. They were for Solomon as well. Verse 16, Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised, saying you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk in my law as you have walked before me. Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David. Again, it's not about the buildings, it's not about the people. We have to expand our eyes, our vision to see this about God. Verse 18, but will God indeed dwell with men on earth? It's inconceivable. Behold, heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this 49 Main Street that we have built. It's not about containing God. It's about seeking Him there. We're not trying to contain God. We don't want to contain God. We want to point out of our lives, out of our mouths, out of this building every day, always. But we come here to seek His face. We have always set aside to seek the God of heaven. Verse 19. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayers that my servant prays before you. That your eyes, catch this, that your eyes may be open day and night towards this house. That needs to be one of our prayers. That God will see everyone who enters here. And this ties in with why people feel like they can belong. Because they feel seen. And some of the places that we don't feel seen when we feel lost, this needs to be a place where God sees people, where we see people. Your eyes may be open day and night towards this house, the place you have promised to set your name, that you may listen. God's ears, listening. This is who we want to be. This is who we need God to be in this place. That you listen to the pleas of your servant and your people of Israel when they pray toward this place. Listen from heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. And he goes on and talks about times of forgiveness. If someone sins against someone else, Father, let this be a place where that can be made. When we go out into battle, when we lose heart, let this be a place where we can be restored into your grace. We can be restrained and renewed. What is this place for? It's a place to seek the Lord God. He says, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain, we haven't had that problem recently. But when that happens, that's not a problem. 
Let this be a place where we can come and see and say we have needs that are beyond our control. Meet with us. If there's a famine in the land, let us use this place as a place to gather to pray. When we hear about needs and worries and injustices in the world, let's gather here and pray for that. Because we're setting a place, setting apart a place to seek God. We're asking that people hear those prayers on that day. Prayers we don't even know we're going to pray yet. Let's meet you and dedicate this place to that. The rest of chapter 6 continues on the variety of prayers that Solomon wants the Lord to hear. This might happen now because God's still the same, but if it does, grab the fire extinguishers in each of the corners. Um, chapter 7, verse 1 says, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, so like, amen, done, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord Temple. They bowed with their faces on the ground to the pavement, and they worshiped, and they gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, His love endures forever. This is the only thing that matters. He is good. Amen? Yes. Amen. And His love endures forever. Amen? That's our hope. And that's what Jesus is. It's the embodiment of His eternal love of God. When we walk out into the world, are we carrying that fire? We filled with that glory, our temple. Be reminded this morning that that's who you are. And if that's not who you are, come talk to me. Let's pray. So we're not anxious to be churchgoers. We're not meant to be just students of a historical literature. We're not meant to be anything less than the beautiful, ornamented, specifically designed, cared for, built temple of God. And when God shows up in a place like that, whether it's us or whether it's in a location where we gather, it's tangible. And it always has been in our last location. Whether it was an easy year or a hard year, whether it was a, a big church family or a small church family, whether it was a, a Wednesday night Bible study, or whether it's a Sunday morning gathering or a fall festival, or whether there I was alone in the chapel some night just walking around pacing, praying, or reading my Bible. I always felt like the presence of God was there in a beautiful way. It really did. It had something that happened to that place because it was set aside for worship. So do we need to go there and pray? You know, how beautiful is that place to come together and worship That's what we're praying for today. In just a moment, we're going to pray. We're going to pray that God would consecrate this space. He is holy. He is not contained. But He can set a place, set apart places. Beauty and worship, and that is what this place will be. It already has become that in so many small ways, and it will grow as he continues to grow and build us. So, fire came down, amen. We're okay for the time being, no fire physically is good anyway. Um, and this is dedication of the temple. Solomon sacrificed 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So, that happened, probably took a little while. That's a lot. But before we start to get too offended at the needless waste of life, remember that every sacrifice preceded the feast. Everything was sacrificed to the Lord was eaten, and it was eaten in community. So all this is describing is how many people were celebrating. That's what it's describing. How many people gathered 
to give glory. They needed to sacrifice 22,000 monks and 120,000 sheep to feast and to celebrate to God's glory. And that's a beautiful thing. And it's why God wants all of the wealth to be able to be ready for moments like this. So the priests stood at their posts, and the Levites also with the instruments for music to the Lord that King David had made for giving thanks to the Lord. His steadfast love endures forever. Whenever David offered praises by their ministry, opposite them the priests sounded the trumpets, and all of Israel stood. Then they had a feast for a week, and they finished the building of the temple. One more moment that I'm going to point out uh, is in chapter 7. They have the big festival, but a lot of times the big environment isn't the time that God chooses to tell you the personal thought that he has for you. We kind of hear a lot, we absorb a lot, we go to a worship service, go away to a conference. A lot of times it's in a quiet moment at a conference, or it's after you come back from a worship service, or it's after you're done listening to some praise, and they sit quietly after that God takes those moments to speak. And so God does. God speaks to song. It's not just fire and clouds. Sometimes we need from God a little bit of advice, a reminder that He sees us. Just a little word of encouragement, a little word of confirmation. And so God gives that to Solomon. That's the last point I'd like to read before we pray and then head downstairs for our own consecration. So, chapter 7, verse 11. It says, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and his own house he successfully accomplished. This took 20 years, by the way, for both of those things to be completed. So 20 years of serving and working, and then the quiet word comes from the Lord. Can I say one more time for all of us who are waiting for something? Wait and trust. Sometimes God's scale of time is just a way different thing than ours. Sometimes it's the same, we pray and there's an answer, and sometimes it's pray, and then I'm going to speak to him 20 years on that. Can we be faithful to stay with him even when he's not as quick to give the answer to the specific question we have? We need to be, because if we are, we'll see that he shows himself faithful. And so 20 years later, God and Solomon have a beautiful little moment. Uh, chapter 7, verse 12. The Lord appeared to Solomon in the night, and he said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. So you see, he didn't choose it as a place where he would be contained. This is a place where you can come to me, and I will hear your prayers. And so he replies to the request that Solomon made. Maybe 20 years from now, I'll have a woman in the middle of the night, and God will me this dedication someday. And say, remember those things we prayed for? Look what I do. Chapter 7, verse, verse 12. The Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and chose this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, or I command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will hear, heal their land. And I read that again, we see that on a lot of coffee mugs, a lot of bumper stickers, because it's easy to quote, but think about the context. Think about 20 years of God's faithfulness, the, the, the temple, the palace that rose up out of faith, because of God's provision. 
we are God's temple. This is a word to us, to all of his people. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, if they pray and see my face, and if they turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. He replies to the eyes and ears that Solomon prayed for him. He says it exactly that. He says, now my eyes will be open, and my ears will be attentive to the prayer that is made in this verse. For now I have chosen, there's God's choosing, and one thing will is choosing this, as well as allowing it, as well as calling people to it. There's the sovereignty of God at play. I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. I think that's the most beautiful verse that I read in this entire passage. That God would say that his eyes and his heart would be in that place forever. That's my prayer for this place on this he says, if you do turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you, if you go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you. This house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. I'll make it a proverb and a byword among all the peoples. At this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done this to this land, this house? And then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of and they lay hold on other gods and worship them and serve them. Therefore, he has brought all this disaster upon them. So you see, it's always been about God. If we will cling to him and help each other hang on when it's hard, he loves that thing. But he will not just stand idly by for he say, oh, look what we have done. Let's bite our tongue when we find ourselves saying, oh, look what we built in the back. It wasn't us. Look what we bought or rented. It wasn't us. If it wasn't for a million small coincidental moments and a hundred million moments of provision and resource giving and a thousand and ten thousand answered prayers, none of this would happen because it's God's place, the place where we can see Him. So I'm going to ask us to just go into a time of prayer. You can pray quietly. Sometimes it's kind of hard to hear things so like we understand. So I might not hear everybody, I might even have two people praying at once. God doesn't mind. He hears multiple people praying around the world at the same time all the time. He's fine with that. But if we could set aside five or ten minutes now to pray the prayers of consecration, how we would like to see God use this place, how we dedicate it to His name and to His glory, how we'd love to see it grow into a beautiful thing, how He's dedicating us, I would just like to open it up to us as the nation of Israel, as the people of God. Say this week, pray. We pray, blessed be the name of the Lord on this place. And blessed be God as his name is on us, his people. So let's pray for a little while. We've heard a scripture example we can hear, but this is our time to consecrate. We head downstairs, it'll just be for a couple of minutes. That's uh, not a lot of things. So let's take this moment. This is our moment to start right, to start with prayer, to start by seeking the Holy Spirit. So maybe I'll say it quick introductory prayer, and as you feel that, short prayers, long prayers, pray at the same time. Speaking of languages, speaking tongues, kneel down, stand up. This isn't a constrained moment for a constrained God. This is a beginning moment, a consecration moment for all.
God help you feel that to pray. Peace.